says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to an instant reaction edition of the tip sheet. Coming out of round three with the Parramatta Eels victorious in a huge, huge result for the club. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for this instant reaction podcast is my good mate, 60s. We have a lot to talk about, mate. There's good, there's bad, there's horrible. As the uh, fallout of that four-point win yeah, really rapidly sort of coalesces. We were literally minutes outside of uh, full-time down in Melbourne. How are you holding together, mate? Mate, I'm absolutely losing my mind. What did we just watch there? And if you ever had a finish to a game that provided complete redemption for a player, I think you wouldn't have got a better example than that. I think you encapsulated it perfectly on social media, mate. I think, what was your tweet? Redemption is spelt S-T-O-N-E. That's it. That's the one. Uh, What are two weeks for Raymond Stone? And and unfortunately, there's going to be fallout from that, as I sort of alluded to earlier. But let's dive right into this, mate. It was 28-24 for the Parramatta Eels, a game that featured some of the highest highs for both teams and some of the lowest lows. The the volatility, the variability of the football that we saw was some of the best you're going to see all season and some really low-quality stuff that both Arthur and Ben uh, Bellamy are going to be chomping at the bit to get into the teams for. But let's go through the scorers list. For the Storm, Brandon Smith making a shock return from a broken hand. Uh, he was quite influential on the result, actually, having a, a very good game. He scored their first try. Nick Meany then nabbing a double. Ryan Pappenhausen putting all our hearts firmly in our mouths when he uh, locked the game up at 18 all. Pappenhausen flawless from the kicking tee, four from four. Uh, and then for the Eels, Quinton Gufferson started the scoring. Wanga Blake, Tom Opachik, and that crucial Raymond 316 double. Uh, getting the Eels home. Mitchell Moses, much like Pappenhausen, flawless off the kicking tee, including a cheeky little moment where Ashley Klein caught him uh, nudging the mark in by about half a metre, uh, but he still managed to ice that one, thankfully. Uh, Mitch having a couple of shots at field goal, one a two-pointer, one a one-pointer, and uh, missing both, but crucially maybe scoring a try assist for the second one. Uh, I, I don't know how they marked that one, mate. Uh, but <clears throat> going through the team stats quickly before I let you open up the floor, uh, Melbourne Storm ahead on possession, 52-48. to 48. Time of possession, likewise, slightly favouring the Storm, 28-48 to Parramatta's 26-49. Eels completing much more effectively, though, 81% for the Blue and Gold, 30-37 compared to Melbourne, who were down at 70%, 29-41. So good to see the Eels hitting that threshold, that benchmark that we do love to see, that 80% figure. Uh, Melbourne ahead on most key attacking stats due to that uh, possession bump, uh, although they did have eight line breaks to Parramatta's three, which... Uh, really adds up to what we saw on TV. It felt like Melbourne getting out of their red zone often on the back of a line break. But one of the big stats, and this is something that you flagged to me before you went live, average play of the ball speed, Melbourne miles ahead, 3.44 seconds for the Storm versus Parramatta's 4.1 second. And I'm going to let you tee off on that later, mate, because that is a certain bugbear out of this one. But uh, kick the fusils, Melbourne floors, Parramatta down at 25%. Again, that follows the eye test. Obviously, Wong having a few troubles under those high balls. Uh, effective tackle rate for the Eels, down at 83.18%, not great. Melbourne only marginally better, 85.15%. But I think the difference here, this week at least, was frontline defense, very shaky, much like what we saw against the Sharks and even the Titans. But the cover defense was terrific. A lot of heart, a lot of hustle, and that's what was the difference for the Eels on the day. 
uh, negative plays. Eels just 10 errors, Melbourne's 12. Five penalties conceded to Melbourne's seven, but uh, Eels conceding one more ruck infringement than Melbourne, three to two. Uh, Eels only used five interchanges, believe it or not. So uh, getting a lot of minutes out of their big men today. Um, individual play stats, mate. Uh, big Reg cracked nearly 200. Just shy, 197 metres. I think the entire forward pack were over triple digits. Yeah, we got Reg 197, Junior 181, Laney nearly 120, Isaiah nearly 160, Nathan Brown nearly 150. Uh, tremendous, tremendous effort from the Bokes in the middle. And you can see why there might have been a few line breaks uh, sort of uh, leaking through that channel because they were doing so much work. Uh, outside of that, Guffo 150, Dylan Brown again in triple figures, 120 metres. He was outstanding. We'll talk about him shortly. Uh, yeah, so that, that were probably the pick of the players out there in terms of tackle busts. Guffo very busy, five, Dylan six. Uh, in the forwards, Zai Papali getting five. He's always a bit of a wrecking ball out in that right edge, mate. That's the game as the numbers said it played out. Where do you want to start when you're dissecting a, a very, very important four-point win for the Eels? Not just in the context of the season. Uh, Parramatta's first win against Melbourne in Melbourne since, uh, if Paul Crowley is to be believed, the Brian Smith days. Um, and it also improves the club to three in a row against the Storm. That is a very rare honour, I feel like, in the modern game. Look, it was a game that didn't have perfection, but it was a game that was high on excitement, high on attitude, high on guts and determination. And I think as far as Parramatta's concerned, we just didn't surrender. And I think that was epitomised by what you talked about with the scramble defence. Um, our, our our missed tackle count. Is there a missed tackle count there? that Let you just, yeah, because um, the tackle rate was down in the mid-low uh, 80s, which is going to point towards a fairly high uh, team stats. Uh, missed tackles only 46 to Melbourne's 36, to be fair. Both teams really struggling with the contact defensively. So that uh, keeps – I think the Eels had 70 missed tackles from their first – is it 70 or more? Was it 90? The the f- tackle rate from the first missed, uh, missed two games was pretty high. This is obviously adding to it, but there was a noted despera- uh, difference in the desperation of the cover defense today. And, and the other thing, of course, was – I thought Melbourne's attack was outstanding today. Their uh, second phase play was really causing havoc with us. And as you, uh, as we've just spoken about, uh, thankfully the Eels' scramble defence was uh, constantly involved because I just had the feeling that that the the way Melbourne played, if it was a team that hadn't turned up at all. Uh, you'd have to think that was going to be like a, a 40 to 60 point uh, margin that they would have put on. Um, su- such was their attack. But again, I come back to there wasn't uh, perfection out there, but it was one of those games where we didn't need perfection. It was just a cracker of a game to watch and neither team going away. And uh, before I get to talking about uh, any individual performances, I, I, you alluded to me talking about the uh, play the ball speed. One of the things that's become my bugbear is that difference in the play the ball speed where you don't have any control over it. And there was a significant difference between the play the ball speed of both teams. And, and I can say this as the Eels were the winning team, but if people have a look at some of the tactics that the Storm have brought in now to slow up the play the ball speed, First of all, we've got the straight-out laying all over the player in the in the ruck. But the other thing that they're sneaking with doing 
is holding up the player in an upright position. So they're not laying all over them. They're holding them, holding their arms in, and it it really slows up the play the ball. And then uh, the other thing that they do, and this was brought to my attention by one of our readers through the week, is that they are half pie going for the strip, the one-on-one strip. Or they might start off with multiple players in the tackle, and then you you have what looks like a strip going to be attempted, but it doesn't happen. Their interest isn't in actually in stripping the ball. It's just the blowing the rock. Is, is slowing down the play the ball. Yeah. So that's just something to keep an eye I, on with them. I will As, credit Craig Bellamy with this. He is incredibly creative and has oh, been... The, over a long period when it comes to staying ahead of the curve for ruck spoiling tactics. The NRL just cannot uh, keep pace with him. He, he's too yeah. good. That was that was the point I was going to make, is that uh, it, it's indicative of Bellamy looking for another area within the mm-hmm. game where just, he can he can get an advantage. And mm-hmm. you'll normally see that advantage last for the best part of a season before it gets caught out or it might even get through the next season and then next thing you've got the NRL looking to make adjustments to counter the latest move that the Storm have got in, in or let's put in, in inverted commas, a manipulation of the rules because they're being, they're not doing anything that they're not allowed to do because that's basically the referee's call. So if the referee doesn't call them for holding play up in some way, then they're not doing anything that they're not allowed to do. So, um, you know, you'd have to say full marks to them. But I don't want to talk too much about Melbourne because I think we need to give some credit to the, the Parramatta Reels performance today because um, I declared it tongue-in-cheek through the week that the Storm are now our bunnies. Well, we've got them, we've got them the last three uh, games. We've beat them and- in, in two of their preferred fortresses too, at Amy and Suncorp, the two places where they do not know defeat. Yeah, so... Obviously, I'm feeling pretty good this afternoon looking at that. So it's a, a very – Parramatta were actually – their record since 2019 of never missing a round, uh, never missing out on being in the top eight at the end of any baby. round under threat. Yes, and you can't have that. They came into no. this round, it was at risk, and they said, no, sir, no, ma'am, we are going to stay inside the top eight. We're going to knock off – one of the big dogs in their fortress down south. And they did just that. It made it hard on themselves. It wasn't the easiest road to victory. And let's dive into where they hurt themselves today, mate. Because if you happen to catch Mitchell Moses in his quick post-game interview on Fox, uh, he, he summed it up succinctly. Straight away, he was quite frank. He said, uh, we're making it too hard on ourselves, which I think is the uh, feeling of pretty much every fan of the blue and gold out there. where We're making it a lot harder than it has to be. And then he pointed towards that, and everyone's going to know which set it is, but right at the end, he was up by six. They get the turnover near Melbourne's half, and they go on the attack, and they're all but set up to ice the game, take a seven-point lead with Moses right near the sticks. And I think Reed might have overcaught him and plays it to the short side, and uh, Sean Lane sort of tries to tip it on uh, to his left winger in Wunger, and it goes into touch via forward pass. Yeah, stuff like that just really... <laughs> it, it's bad enough when you do it against the Gold Coast Titans and the Cronulla Sharks, and even then it bit us uh, in the backside to give us a one-loss start from those two games. But against Melbourne, you, you you can't do it, and the fact that we got away with doing it is almost crazy to me. But you know, thankfully there was two pieces of Raystone magic. One, the uh, you 
You know, they, they tell you you should start thinking for your head a little bit more, but credit to Stoney, he used the opponent's head uh, to get ahead of the game there with the tap back into a Sofa Solomon's uh, cranium, creating the uh, self-tri-assist, I suppose. And then the second play was, and this is something that I think a lot of fans should really appreciate, to be onside in that position at that time of the game. We're talking about, you know, three or four minutes into Golden Point, taking a field goal from, you know, not close range, from about 25, 30 out, to be onside and being able to chase the ball in that spot is all about heart and it's all about hustle and it's all about being the guy that puts in every rep. And I think that really epitomizes who Ray Stone is and that's why he was the only one near the ball. He was the one that won the game because of it. Yeah, and I think that's a, a fair way to, uh, to assess Ray Stone because he was the subject of a lot of criticism last week. Now, you can make a criticism at Ray Stone for the tackle that he made. And and people haven't shied away from it. We haven't shied away from it on the website. But there were people who just went absolutely over the top about the error. Where you're starting to make personal comments, where there, there were personal comments made about, about Ray. And, and footballers don't go out there to make the sort of mistake that could cost a game. So I think it was a fitting way for Stoney to respond that he's thrown into the game in a position that is not a familiar position to him. And then, as you say, to come up with uh, effort plays that really turned out to be the difference was a, a great result for him. Uh, the other one, too, to mention, and we're talking about maybe even uh, instant redemption with this, was um, Sean Lane where he went for that tap-on with the play down the other end. And then when Melbourne were lining up for the field goal, he was the one that chased through Sean, and got the charge Sean down. Lane was like an alligator or a crocodile on that play, sort of you see him waddling on ground. You're like, yeah, they're not going to get there in time. And all of a sudden, they just spurt a life and explode. And he, he made those last few steps really count as he you know, really hit gear uh, or high gear and then got up in the air and blocked it. And then credit to, I think it was, was it Tom Opacek? Yeah. Yeah, who, who got there and... Uh, you know, didn't didn't sort of let the sort of play go by, if, you know, just sort of like, where's the ball, where's the ball? Because that, that's what happened to Paul Laney. He wasn't quite sure where he charged the ball down to. And he secured the Eels' possession and got them into Golden Point. I thought that Opacic actually had one of his best games. In yeah, he was very, very good. Very good. A number of high-effort plays and quality work uh, just coming off the goal line. Um, there was a really nice run off, was it a Quentin Gufferson offload maybe down the left edge uh, during the first half uh, where he, yep. he knifed in behind the uh, retreating defenders and made really good metres. Yeah, it was a just, like like I said, this is a game that had high highs and low lows. Um, you know, when you concede those eight line breaks that we had, it's always going to be frustrating. Um, and, you know, our right edge again struggling defensively on the red zone or in the red zone. Melbourne uh, pulled them apart for a trial too, and were very lucky or unlucky not to get another one. Although that then begs me the question, I thought that the obstruction this week was relatively benign uh, in terms of Will Penasini being interrupted. In fact, it was even more to the inside shoulder than what we saw against Cronulla, whereas Moses was trucked right up the guts against Cronulla, and that was ruled a try. So uh, the bunker, week-to-week consistency, you've got to love it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where... Uh, the only consistent we consistency we can expect is inconsistency. So um, <sighs> now let let's let's talk about some some contributions. Dylan Brown, 
Yeah, what a game. That he was he was absolutely playing out of his tree in that first half and the early part of the second half. Melbourne didn't the have ball, an answer to ball, him. The ball probably didn't find him in, as much within that last 20, 25 minutes, but just his his I I haven't seen any individual stats in terms of uh, how that lines up for him in terms of run meters, tackle breaks. 10, uh, ten carries, nearly 120 meters, six tackle breaks, a line break, line break assist, and a couple of try assists. Pretty good game. And, and how many tackles? And then if we go defensively, uh, what what do you reckon Dylan made? This is a 5-8. Uh, you know, usually you're sort of making low, low double digits on a normal day. Where would you have had Dylan pegged? Uh I was looking at his involvement in in defence in that, especially in that second. I would have thought around low 30s, 33 maybe. Well, the best for the Eels was Nathan Brown at forty three. Brownie did miss five tackles though, which once again lines up what we saw of our middlemen putting in big efforts, but also getting a bit gassed. Dylan made thirty six tackles and missed just one. That's that is just uh, he's he. I'm going to preempt and just say. I'd given him my uh, three yeah, in the three, yeah, yeah. two, one. So I'm going to jump in now. <laughs> Just get ahead I'm of gonna it. Give, <laughs> I'm going to get it out of the way. I had him as my three. I had uh, Isaiah Papali'i as my two. And uh, I probably had, um, and, and this is this is probably unusual when I'm looking at the, at the, um, the way that the, the game panned out, but I I actually had Tom Opechik as my one, but I was that was because of a few key moments, and I, I'm I'm tempted, however, that I probably should have gone with uh, someone like Reg or Junior for the one because I thought Junior's. Uh, second stint out there was particularly both, both the prop wrong. forwards were immense in that second stint. Yeah. Melbourne had the ascendancy through the middle in the first exchanges, I felt. But yeah. when the game was there to be won, they came back on and you could tell that the field was starting to get flipped. And um, Junior, of course, having to deal with... Uh, Gufferson took exception to this, so it would be interesting to go back and have a look at this, but he felt that it might have been a cannonball or an attack on the ankles of Junior by Nelson Osofa Solomona because he remonstrated quite visibly to actually Klein after he scored that opening try uh, when, once Dylan had that cracking run down the left um, and, and was asking for it to be uh, reviewed. So there's maybe something to come out of that. But uh, Sofa Solomon has got a fair bit coming out of this game, if we're going to be honest, because there was a, a shot on uh, Big Makatoa, Makahesi there, that uh, it was missed by the refs live. And we've seen the bunker have the discretionary power to go back in time and sim bin someone for foul play in the past. I think we had a game against Manly, I want to say, that, uh, that happened to us um, during one of the two gaslight seasons with COVID. Uh, but uh, well, maybe I'm mis- misremembering. I felt like it, it happened in one of those games. Uh, but instead, we didn't get a penalty. It goes on report. And then <laughs> then Makatoa gets back at uh, Nass shortly after and, and gives away a penalty. It just blew my mind. But going back to the 3 2 one it's very hard to go past what you said. Dylan Brown was so good. Um, you know, there was a lot of, and we, we've already spoken about this, there's been a lot of speculation on Deal coming into this season. Can he, you know, throw off the offensive struggles that he had last year? Can he start blossoming into the full, you know, package, the player that we all want him to be? And at times I felt like the, the criticisms were probably overblown last year. 
um, you you got to remember that the Parramatta systems sort of favour. We, we put certain players in positions to to spotlight, right? Quinton Gufson, of course. You know, he, he he's a player that you really sort of jump to because he's that wide playmaker that often finishes off uh, a lot of the movements. But this year, Dylan's just backing himself, and he, it's almost like it's putting the NRL on notice now. He has been really, really good for these first three rounds and a well-deserved man of the match, uh, best on field today. Uh, if I had to go my two-on-one, oh, I, 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 I have an un, unashamed bias for the big men, so I could easily just go Reg Jr. 2-1 one, or 1-2, one, whichever way you want to uh, do it. Um, I've got to give Sean Lane props for the charge down. I don't know, mate. This is a tough game. This is. I, I thought. I thought uh, Ice was an absolute work. Oh, Ice. Today. Ice was very good. He had that. Uh, not only just a work rate. He had that awesome line break in the second half where he just couldn't find support in his right, um, but also didn't you know didn't panic and throw the ball away. You always love to see that. I. I don't know. I, I, I thought he brought. I thought he brought when they were talking about the physicality of the game. I thought he brought it all through the game, so that's why I've I've yeah. given him two. And and as I said to you, I think um, it's it's a toss up between three players for me for the for the one point with uh, Reg Junior and uh, and Tommy Opechik and 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 I liked a couple of the the big moments from Opechik with his contributions, but I you know it's you know, on on reflection I, I should probably give it to one of the big the big fellas, so I'll give it to Junior for his second yeah, stint. I'll, I'll go, I'll go, Reg Junior for my two one, and that's been very harsh on uh, on Ice. He was right in it there. That this was a, you don't win this game without your forward standing up. I feel like, and they did that, and on the back of that, obviously Dylan Brown starring and Mitchell Moses just doing what. This is one of those things where if you've got other players firing, sometimes you don't get in the way. And Quentin Garfson having a good game. Uh, Dylan Brown having a cracking game. Mitch just did what he had to do. So, you know, that that is an important part of being a good game manager. And I'll, I'll even throw it to you. How close does someone like Ray Stone go if yeah. for his short yeah. stint at the end exactly. to get a point? You almost, you almost have to give him an honourable one the most point. Plays. Maybe got to have like an honourable one point this week because that was Stoney. Yeah. He, yeah. he was, you know, that that game isn't one without him. And, he you know, he sort of made his own luck on both those tries. He was the only player to go up for that kick contest in the first place, and he couldn't bring it in. But you know, he, he was had enough savvy to know I can still knock this back and not you know lose possession. And then he, he gets a very lucky pounce off Naz's skull. And then the, the second one that is the definition of creating your own luck to be on side in that spot to be the only person chasing that hard. You know, Moses misses the field goal by the barest of margins, banging that right upright. And then you know he's the only person within Kui. Jerome Hughes was behind the posts. He's the one that's giving chase, and he gets the break for it. And unfortunately, it's probably cost him his knee. The initial diagnosis by NRL physio was it's either uh, like a bad meniscus uh, bruising or tear, but more likely uh, a function of the ACL popping, um, given that it was non-contact and where he was grabbing after the the try. But geez, like that that little period of play just epitomised who Raystone is. Yeah, and. I like the comments that was made. I think it was uh, Mitch Moses at the end that was making the comments about Ray Stone and referenced how hard he works, about how he's one of the fittest in the club and, and you know, absolutely rips in at training. And that was um, how I reported the preseason where I said he had stripped for this preseason the fittest that I'd ever seen and was 
leading the runs in in so many of the in so much of the conditioning work. It was he was he actually had quite a freakish preseason by I say by his standards simply because and it's not because Stony didn't set good standards before no, because but he, just he did, but that, that he was off. just yeah. like. Yeah, he was he was right at the top of the pyramid when it when it came to the preseason. It was uh, when you looked at those that stood up and said, "I dare you not to select me this season." You had Ray Stone and Jake Arthur right at the top of the tree, and there was anyone that would have seen the the preseason alongside myself and uh, Para through and through it at uh, Kellyville over the preseason, you couldn't deny the work of those two and the, and the fact that they earned a right to start the season in first grade. And it's funny, when I was selecting the team for the start of the year, I, I didn't select Stone despite that. And the moment that he earned the spot on the bench, I couldn't disagree with it because... I'd said that he deserved it. I'd actually said the same about Jake Arthur, that both of them deserved it, but I couldn't find a spot for them. And the coach proved that, do you know what? If you absolutely bust your ass in a preseason and make it a situation where we have to look at finding a way to include you in the team, that's what we're going to do. We're going to reward you for what you do out there. Now, it doesn't mean that you reward the fittest because I'm not just talking about the blokes that lead the runs. I'm talking about everything that yeah. goes into yeah. the preseason. And that's what, all that's the what Moses mentioned, that he's the first there, last leave, always does his extras. You know, he, he is a guy that puts himself, he, he sort of demands to be in the frame for selection because of the work he does. Yeah, and that includes all of the opposed work, the 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 games of football that they play, which sometimes the contact is just as ferocious as an NRL game because you've got players out there that are competing for a spot. So when they're, when they're donning their jerseys and boots and they're going out there with the NRL referees controlling a game of football and maybe it only goes for 40, 50 minutes rather than a 80-minute game, but they're ripping in to each other out there. There's, it's no holds barred. Mm-hmm. Full contact, and they performed. So, anyway, enough of enough of that. Um, looking in at today's game, was it everything that you expected, mate? I think for the most part, obviously, I would have liked a little bit more defensive integrity in the front line. That would have. It, it's always appreciated when you're not bleeding eight line breaks, but it's also got to be remembered how good Melbourne is at not just promoting the football, but the those rabid hounds they have around the ball. Guys like Pappenhausen and Jerome Hughes and Cameron Munster, who was. Covered in grease today. He just it was very hard to bring him down in general. Uh, it should not be undersold how good those players are and how much they can torment any team, not just Parramatta. But yeah, I, I really like the bounce back factor uh, from what we did against Cronulla. I like the fact that even though we considered the first try and there were you know a few hiccups early on, we got into gear and we were the team that uh, found uh, the accelerator in the second half. Melbourne had to come match our pace. I think that's important when you're talking about championship minutes. Um, obviously, you know, Melbourne did manage to, to uh, level the scores, care of a Brandon Smith bullocking run. But I, I do like that we're taking the initiative in those big moments. Um, you know, all the key players I feel standing up. I think, you know, obviously, I sort of I, I 
pointed to him before, but Reed obviously didn't have a great game, but that's fine because you have other players in the spine picking up the slack. Quinton Gufferson, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses just knowing where and where, uh, when and where the ball needs to be. That's fine. You can take the slack when someone has a bad game. That's, that is not an issue. Um, but yeah, so I really like the bounce back factor. I really like the character the team's shown. Yes, they made it hard on themselves. And yes, Brad's got plenty of film to tear into and, and dissect and, and sort of uh, pull apart as to where we can be better because there are a lot of places we can be better. But don't undersell as a fan how hard it is to go to Melbourne given the resources that we had in our playing group. The guys are just you know dropping off like flies at the moment. And yes, Melbourne had their own issues too, but they're the ones playing at home. They're the ones that are able to control the ruck on Klein's whistle. Um, and we managed to overcome all of that. Now, I want to ask you a question based on a little bit that you've said just then. And we're talking about a little tweak to the team. I'm going to ask you this. Do we need to find a way to give Reed Marnie a bit of a spell in the either the, um, the late part of the first half, early part of the second half? Now, I ask this because he's, just as we get towards the end of the halves, it seems to be the odd error or the mm-hmm. um, odd error of judgment comes so in. And you, I think it's, if you it's spelling the, before half the time. workload. Yeah, if you could spot him before half time and then bring him back on later into the second half and let him play out the remainder of the footy to be had in that half, I think that's a good idea. Uh, given, if you look back at our last two games, that this week, Wiri McGregor didn't get onto the field and last week there were compounding factors given that Jake had an appendectomy done uh, just after the game, it turns out. Uh, but Jake didn't get onto the field. There is literally just free real estate on our bench for a dummy half or an interchange utility to help spell read through those periods, and I think it's definitely got merit, mate. Yeah, I was just wondering, it's probably less likely to happen at the moment because we've got Mitch Rain on the sidelines as well. Yep, Yep. and Brennan Hand's getting his first start tomorrow in the New South Wales Cup. So, yeah, there there is a personnel issue just in terms of healthy players, but I am 100% on board with the idea, mate. Yeah, just... It's probably a little tweak that I'd be tempted to make, and it's not um, a reflection on Reed's form in any way. But you just look and think he's, especially the first two, the first two rounds, his his form in terms of what he was generating out there was tremendous. But you just see as you get towards the end of the half that the the energy starts to drop off and it's quite understandable as well because a oh, huge workload he's getting through a ton on both sides of the ball but it's not just the workload it's the fact that he missed the back half of the season and then he was rehabbing through most of the preseason came into doing the contact work only in january so he was i if you could call reed underdone he was maybe a little bit underdone coming into the season itself. And I just think maybe it's something that uh, BA might consider. And when we have uh, him uh, available for selection, then it's it's maybe a time to consider Mitch Rain getting that chance off the bench, mm-hmm. especially when you also look at the number of injuries that we're carrying at the moment. So, uh, And he's, he's on that list, but... There's a few players there that won't be back for some time. So 
it, it could be worth considering. And we had a scenario today as well. And, and in some respects, we're fortunate that Ray Stone, uh, and people wouldn't necessarily know this, but Ray Stone trained the majority of the preseason out on the edge. So he's training as an edge forward, not as a middle. And I have seen him fill, out, fill in out around the centres. So it wasn't necessarily <laughs> such a, a strange positioning for him to be out there. As a matter of fact, I was more confident about our right edge defence with Stoney out there. And the only question mark was going to be around his pace to uh, move to compete against maybe the likes of Pappenhausen hitting the ball out wide. But Parramatta, of course, were able to counter that with Mitch Moses defending out there as well. So it, it allowed him to cover with his pace. But I thought, yeah, I I wasn't at all concerned when Stoney had to move out there. I thought, no, he'd be fine out on the edge. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, anyway, just, a, just an interesting thought about yeah, I, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had, not just among us, but hopefully among the coaching staff, because like I said, there's been an empty spot or a, or a dead spot on the interchange bench the last two rounds of Alpha preferring his top 16 rather than the top 17 uh, with the flow of the games that unfolded against both Cronulla and Melbourne. And that'll be muddied more when we get more healthy players back in terms of Murata and Ryan Madison. Um, I'm not sure who else is due back in the short term. Our injury list is that bad right now. Give me two secs and I'll... I'll tell you. So the official injury report says that we're going to get Mitch Rain back next week. Madison is a chance to come back next week, but also round five is in the same window. Murata is TBC, but I heard on the uh, TV coverage this week that they will sort of saying round, between rounds four to six, so that's a pretty wide window too. Uh, Sean Russell's TBC, Micah's mid-season uh, TBC. Hayes Dunn's obviously out for the year. So there is reinforcements coming on the horizon, at least in the terms of Madison and Rain. And then also Jakey R for two, round five and six is his recovery window. So that, that'll muddy the, the windows for or muddy the bench composition. But I think once Rain is back next week, assuming that it is just that one week layoff, absolutely you could throw him onto the NRL bench, mate. Yeah. So let's now take a maybe the macro look at this game. And in the context of a season if you are marking down the likely result of an away trip against Melbourne in Melbourne, what as a fan, you're probably going to have 70 to 80% of the fan base marking it down as a likely yeah, loss. Yeah, e- easy. And look, the Vultures were circling, mate. Phil Crawley earlier this week had an article out talking to an anonymous NRL coach about how the Eels were uh, fake contenders. They were, you know, full of uh, empty lining, empty stuffing. There's, there's no substance to them. They look good and they, they can't turn up. And, you know, and he was using the fact that we haven't won against Melbourne in Melbourne outside of origin period, which is a very cherry pick stack given that in origin period you get the, the big players backing up a lot too. Uh, but we hadn't won since the Brian Smith era. So, like I said, the vultures were circling. There was a Can lot I of- just interrupt? Can I just interrupt and say uh, I, I was talking to um, an anonymous NRL coach who was telling me that Crawley had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Fancy that. Uh, but you no, know, I'm the, not going to name my sources. Yeah, I, no. Well, he, did, name he, didn't name, he didn't name his sources. He, he, you know, yeah, no no one was brave enough to give the ultimate bulletin board material to the Eels, you know, whether it was uh, a top eight coach or no, because if, <laughs> if it's coming from a bottom eight coach, it doesn't mean much. Uh, but 
yeah, that that is what was buzzing around the internet. Like I said, the vultures were circling because it is easy to write off a team, any team, let alone Parramatta, when you're going to Melbourne this time of year. If they're Ross, they're all geared up, and you know Craig Bellamy always gets their boys up for big games like this. And to do what they did is huge. It, once again, it shows the character of the team. And I go back to last week. How bad did we play? How up for the game were Cronulla? What was the final scoreline? That was potentially Cronulla's best game of their season, coming back on an emotional high at Shark Park at Points Bet Stadium. We played nearly as bad as we could have, and it was still a two-point game. Like this, this team, this team. You, you talk, you, you hear commentators love to say the team, uh, team forgets how to lose, blah blah blah, and all those cheesy things. But this team, there is an element of them. Even if they make it half themselves, they do refuse to lose. Can I just say the hounds are baying for Crawley's? Uh, scalp. <laughs> I mean, I can, hear, uh, after, I can hear the hounds baying. Uh, after after a, a, an empty article like that, you know, you got to start questioning his track record. You know, the real time contenders, mate, they put out the articles that hit hard. And you know, when you put out something like that and you're padding your stats, and it, it looks flashy when there's nothing on the line, but it gets you know sort of run down at the end. Not a good look. Oh, it's it, 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 it's a gar. It's, it's that sort of stuff is. I have to say it. It's garbage journalism. It really is, and it and it brings down the standard of other journalists. That to to for him to describe his work as the work of a journalist, really. There's 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 nothing in that, and and I don't care. Like if you if you can't name a, a source, well, you haven't got a source. Yeah, exactly. You you are literally just putting out there fan flames and get clicks. And yeah, and we know that we know how how that works. How they could, you know, write a write an article on the eels, make it something that's a little bit inflammatory. You're going to get clicks. You're going to get reads. Editors happy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you're not going to. Geez, if you're talking about having any sort of respect, uh, what what a load of tripe. But look, anyway, look, we're credit, not credit credit, credit to Crawley. Point. He's got the the biggest podcast in rugby league talking about it clearly. You know the, the tip sheet. You know makes waves across the, yeah, the, the greater rugby yeah. league spheres. So you know, it's achieved its objective. He's gotten us talking about it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, coming back to what your original point was, mate. You go into this game as a neutral or even as a Parramatta fan, and you're like, mate, like like you said, 80 percent in favour of Melbourne Storm. Uh, but the Eels, they've curated a style of play that really upsets Melbourne. Um, even when they get that niggle going in the ruck and they're allowed to spoil. 4.11 average play the ball speed today. That is literally Melbourne's bread and butter. They feast on games like this, and they couldn't put us away. We upset their style of play with our ability to go second phase, with our ability to go edge to edge, with our big boppers that can just soak up the physicality in the first stanza. Maybe they don't come ahead in the first in that first uh, uh, sorry first run of play that first half, but they come back on and they just start rumbling, and Melbourne don't like that. Yeah, and. I think it's um, – remember when we were we were talking after the final series with Bernie Gurr a couple of years back mm-hmm. and, and Melbourne had caused us the problems as usual and the question mark was around uh, are we getting closer to bridging the gap? And I think that was at the end of 2020 that we had that discussion with him. And then 2021, that's both games – and we've started off with a win away from home against the Storm this year. Now, I am by no means saying that we've 
worked Melbourne out and that we should feel confident every time we go in for a match against them. No, I'll retract that. I think we should always go in confident in every match that we take on any opposition. Uh, However, to say that we've necessarily got the wood on them, I wouldn't. But to say that we have bridged the gap, then definitely. Um, And those people who have doubts about us securing victories over the Melbourne Storm should maybe have a little bit more faith that the Eels can get it done. Our Probably our biggest uh, opposition in terms of ones that have might have the wood on us at the moment is probably South, the way that they've played their football the last couple mm-hmm. of years, and to an extent Manly as well. Which, we is, which is we absolutely insane because we, they were absolute bunnies to Brad Arthur, but clearly they've made some adjustments to their game plan that now sees them being able to unseat us, and that's going to be one of the big question marks this year. Uh, they're not travelling so flash right now, uh, but there's still plenty of time for them to right the ship. And if they can get back into top eight contention or even just been able to spoil our campaign, it would be uh, very upsetting for Parramatta fans. So that's definitely something they've got to, or the Eels have to uh, come to grips with this year, much like the Bunnies. They're the two teams, I'd say, that across the entire NRL, you know, Penrith play very tough against us. They're an outstanding team. But I feel like, once again, our styles are very similar um, and it makes for good football uh the, the, those are the two teams that really jump out as, you know, the style makes fight sort of negatively for Parramatta. Yeah. Now, just before we uh, wrap things up, mate, we'll just quickly go through the scores in the all the pathways matches today. Yeah, big uh, big day out at Redfern for me. Got out there to – it used to be Redfern over Redfern Park. It's now got a rather long-winded name. Give me one second. It is uh, – if I get this one here. Iron – Ironmark High Performance Centre, Sydney. Um, so yeah, well, well, I think if we call it Redfern Oval, mostly we've got it's it's, Par- it's Parramatta Stadium, it's Shark Park, it's Redfern Oval. We'll just go with that. So yep. starting off with the Tasha Gale, we've been raving about them all year, mate. Even from the first game they had, where it was a tight loss against the competition leading Sydney Roosters, uh, they were on fire today, thirty six nil over the Rabbitohs. We had them down as a win coming into this game, but this was a you know not not quite a trap game, but it's a game where if you're a contender or you want to be a real finals mover and shaker, you've got to go out there, win and win big. And they did that. They responded really, really well to both the conditions and the opponents. Uh, Debbie do, he started the scoring in the first minute, then followed a, ro- a double to Rosemary Beckett off to the, uh, uh, hopefully they have highlights up for this great. I'm not sure if New South Wales rugby posts them, but uh, midfield chip kicks that played out almost exactly the same with Tamir Aliati picking up the ball and then finding support with Rosemary Beckett ending uh, or icing both of them. Uh, followed up by Tamir Aliati getting her own well-deserved try. Casey Q, uh, Mela Nukuo, Akualu Lala uh, also crossing. And finally, Chelsea Steele entered the game due to concussion protocols as the 18th player. Uh, she scored in the 55th minute. Alicia Bell, I, I say a rare off day for her. She was mostly kicking from out wide and still went four from six with uh, Rosemary Becker getting the last shot at goal and missing it. So really, really strong game from the girls and Natasha Gale. That moves them up, if I'm not mistaken, to second on the ladder. Let me check that for you. Uh, that is the Laurie Daly Cup, not the Tasha Gale. Yeah, they are now equal points with the Sydney Roosters, having played one more game. Uh, so there's obviously a game in hand for the Roosters here. But what a what a turnaround for our girls. They are just come ahead in leaps and bounds this year, all but booking. No, I think they actually have booked a spot in the finals, essentially. They'd need to lose out with incredible foreign against hits 
to uh, not make the finals from this point. So, you know, not quite premature congratulations yet, but with two games in hand, they've got a chance to really solidify their spot up the ladder, mate. Yep. And uh, the Mats return to, well, they stayed in the winner's list, I should say. Yes. So Mats coming off a, a game against the North Sydney Bears where they started hot, then let the Bears back in and then took control of the game, really built off that performance today. Uh, easily their most complete uh, complete effort of the season. They won 32-4 to against the Bunnies. Uh, the uh, South City team actually opened a scoring in the 11th minute with Tane Wilson, but then it was all on my traffic. Uh, Michael Gabriel, Mohamed Alamadeen, Richard Penasini, Blaise Talangi, a double to Zaydis Mwagatutia, uh, and then Luke Maroon scoring the 55th minute. Alamadeen just converting only two of those seven tries, so it could have been you know easily 40 points plus in the context of this game. And... Really what uh, jumped out for me in this game was halfway through the game, Eels got ravaged. The same stoppage of play, so I'm not really sure what happened. They lost two of their outside backs, both Richard Penasini, who looks like he had a, a serious knee injury, so we have to wait and see what the diagnosis is there. But he had to be carted off or, or charioted off. But also his uh, centre junior Fagalele also going off for, for nasty ankle injury, which was immediately strapped and iced, and he was around in a moon boot post-game. Uh they had to make a double change uh, in the one in the one fell swoop, and they managed to just barely lose a stride. Uh, Bud's Matty Arthur was outstanding. He just spearheaded the team around the park in complete control from dummy half, had a couple of try assists, uh, I think both to Zaytis Mwagadutia. So really, really good. Uh, I thought you know, the guys in the back line from one to, uh, one to five, even the injured blokes had really good games. In the forwards, uh, I was really impressed with uh, Bobby uh, Jacob John who was starting this week instead of off the bench. He was really good uh, alongside him. Kobe Herford at lock forward, big work rate, really high impact and a uh, really nice cutout pass to put uh, Luke Maroon over at the end. Uh, on the interchange bench, obviously Zayda's doing a great job scoring a double as the emergency utility on the wing there. And then uh, Pio Carla and Uta both very busy. So yeah, just, I mean, you don't win like that without the entire team performing and they did a great job today. And I think yeah. if I just look at the ladder... We, we mentioned this, that both the ball and the Mets had to win out and have results go their way. Well, yep. the Mets are holding up their end of the deal, mate. They're winning, and they're now in fifth spot with results falling their way of two games in hand. So they now control their path to the finals. That's good, but it wasn't so good for the SG ball team. No, today. and so we had – this was a day of great results for the Eels, not just in the junior reps up until this point, but the Jersey flag also getting the bickies alongside the NRL, obviously – but in the ball, it was the one result that went the wrong way, and uh, they ended up going down 28-6 to to the Bunnies. They actually opened up the scoring in the third minute for Yayo Yachi crossing, Riley Canning adding the extras, but then it was all the other way. Uh, just they got outground uh, by the Bunnies, who just persevered, and, and both teams made a lot of mistakes, but it was the Bunnies that obviously stopped doing it in the second half, and they scored via Thomas Fletcher, Carson Carho, uh, Dranza Hawi de Thierry, uh, Keanu Wright Dunrobin, a former real there, uh, and Emmanuel uh, uh, Ken, uh, sorry, uh, Ken Didicus, uh, with uh, Tyrone Munro going four from five off the kicking tee. And there was a single sin bin for the Bunnies in the 49th minute, but the Eels weren't able to capitalise. And yeah, this was, I mean, we've spoken about it all year, mate. The self-inflicted errors uh, in possession, the, the soft tackles, uh, lack of game control in general, it all sort of reared its ugly head in the second half in particular in this game. And the Bunnies, not exactly one of the high-flying teams in this competition, but they were still able to take advantage of it today. Yeah, and uh, and now you've just alluded to it that there was 
another terrific result from the flag team who travelled down to Melbourne to take on the Victorian Thunderbolts. Yeah, the undefeated Bolts. They were two from two coming into this round. And I'm going to rely on you midweek when we reconvene for our Thursday podcast to give me the real juicy deets on this one. But just looking at how the scorer sheet played this one out, Eels 24 to 18 victors in that trip to Victoria. And that's always a fantastic result to get a, a result like that going interstate, uh, let alone against an undefeated opposition. For the Eels, it was Josh Tuopolotu opening the scoring in the first minute. So I'm going to have to get some feedback on that one, mate. You don't see too many tries with the one next to him like that. Matthew Komalafi, Lachlan Backburn, Dantore Louis, and Lachlan Backburn backing up for a double. Does that mean that Louis scored every game so far this season? I feel like it does. He is... He has been in the, the try scorers list more often than he hasn't, I feel like. So there's Cronulla and there's the Dragons. Definitely, no, he didn't score against the Dragons, but he scored against Cronulla. That's that's why I was getting confused. There you go. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to catching some vision of that game. Having seen the vision of their, of their win over the Sharks the previous week, what I can tell you is they are playing some very, very... I use the word tidy football. They, it looks like they're given a game plan. They go out there, they stick to it. The spine executes well, guides the team around the pitch. You've got, and they've also got, uh, when I say the spine guides the team well around the pitch, they've also got some strike in the spine mm-hmm. as well. And, and the, the forwards are matching the physicality. They just, they just are executing quite well, and they they're building up into this. And I know it's still only early season, but we saw them lose in the trial to Penrith, and the score line I think it was something like eighteen to four didn't reflect how the game played out. They mm-hmm. they played a uh, they played quite a solid game of football, and a few tough calls, and and then of course lots of players coming on and off being a trial. Uh, very unlucky to lose to the Dragons under the. Again, some I'm going to say it was some awful calls yeah. in that game. But Having spoken to not just you, but other people at the ground, there were some genuinely terrible calls in that game. Yeah, but you, you've got to control what you can control, mm. and they probably still had a couple of opportunities to win the game and didn't quite get it done. But it, again, you looked at those first two games and you thought, this team's got something a little bit more this year. Yeah. And then a uh, very good game against the Sharks. And obviously to get the win against the Victorian team down in Victoria, and we haven't seen them in action, the Thunderbolts team, but you as you said, they'd started two from two. And I think it's just a, a good way for the Eels to have started the season in Jersey flag. And what's what's pleasing about that is that it's quite a new team. Uh, quite a new, a lot of new faces. So you'd have to think that as the season unfolds, that as their combinations become a little bit more familiar with each other, uh, that there's probably a lot of improvement left in them this year. So um, it's as I said, a tidy start to the year, uh, tidy performances, and I'm liking what I'm seeing. You put, so, him, you put him on my radar, mate. His new acquisition, but it's good to see Lockie Blackburn back from what I presume was injury through those first two rounds and on the score sheet, uh, score a sheet straight away for double. So making a difference back in the lineup. He was in the centres today with uh, Cody Geimer dropping back to 18th man as a result. Uh, he's got some, I mean, you talk about Cody Geimer dropping back, he's been very good in the flag and the fact that they've got him as surplus to requirements now is really nice. 
Yeah, look, I was quite surprised to see Charlie Geimer on the um, uh, taken out of the game today, and and being the eighteenth man, I thought it might he he's got the capacity to play both in the forwards and the backs. So I thought he might have been an opportunity to be in the seventeen still. With when we saw Blackburn named in the on the extended bench mm-hmm. there that there was always going to be the chance that he was going to be part of the action today. He's too good a player to leave out. But uh, Charlie's been going quite well since he's been... He's one of these players that's SG ball eligible. He's he's moved from playing Harold Matz last year, skipping SG ball, and, and although he played a couple of games earlier in the SG ball season... He's basically skipped out of SG ball, gone, uh, gone up to Flegg. So uh, we're going to see a lot of Charlie Geimer. He's only young. He's he'd be eighteen this year, and he's playing in the under twenty ones competition, and and going quite well. So, um, but all in all, mate, that's uh, what four out of five today with the, for the Parramatta Eels. Got a crucial game against the Brisbane Broncos tomorrow in the NRLW. Given that the Roosters were unable to triumph over the St. George Illawarra Dragons today and they end up losing by the margin of 16-10. I want to say, yeah, 16-10. The Eels now have a... You don't want to lose the game against the Broncos, but they now have in their pocket a 14-point wild card in a loss in order to secure a, a path into the finals with a loss. So that is their little insurance policy they got tomorrow. Obviously, they're going to try and beat the Broncos... Uh, and bludgeoning the pieces, I reckon. They're going to come out really fired up for this game. But they do have a little insurance policy in their back pocket. And the other game tomorrow is the New South Wales Cup Clash, which is out at Aubrey Keach Reserve. Eels taking on Mounties. I don't think I'm going to be able to get out to that one, sadly, mate. So I'm not sure if you're going to be on the ground. Uh, but I've got a few uh, domestic duties that I've been <laughs> uh, corralled into this weekend. Yeah, we'll see what we can do about it. At the very least, providing score updates on TCT. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Eels 28, defeating the Melbourne Storm 24 in Golden Point, mate, off a Mitchell Moses field goal that hits the upright, Ray Stone backing up, scoring, and then potentially blowing out his knee. That That is just insane to speak about, let alone see it happen in action. But uh, Parramatta do stay in the top eight as a result. I think they're going to finish the round in six, just looking at the ladder, who could pip them. The Titans could, beat, uh, could jump them with a big win against Canberra, which is actually... In line right now, they're absolutely uh, beating the ever-loving uh, something out of the Raiders in this game. So, But they're going to finish around in the top eight. That's all you want, three rounds in, mate. You can still build from there. Yeah, uh, what a win. Yeah, mate, as as I said, I am extre- I was lost for words when it came to the end of the game. I was extremely happy with the result. And I think as far as any Eels supporters are concerned, well, should be concerned. There's a lot to be proud about in terms of how our side is taking on the top teams like the Melbourne Storm. We are, I believe, genuine contenders this year. There's a long way to go in the competition, but with every performance against one of the top teams playing out as it did today, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, Roll the sleeves up, get the job done next week against St George. The old cliche is one game at a time, but it is truly one game at a time. And every week that you get those two points, that just makes the job 
a lot easier at the end of the season. You don't want to have to be uh, looking at mathematical possibilities to finish in certain places come the end of the season. You want to really wrap up your spot and um, and take a bit of pressure off. And uh, I think there was something that was said earlier today about, or earlier this week, about criticism about Parramatta typically starting too too fast and then having slumps. And then then the criticism this week was that. We weren't starting well this season and, the, you know, there was uh, question marks raised about what the Eels were going to be like if we weren't starting well this season. You can't please everybody, can you? So I, I just say that uh, you just try and get the job done as best you can every week and then uh, get yourself into finals football and it's a whole different ball game once you're there. That's a so, fantastic note mate, to sign off off, yeah, mate. And absolutely, mate. As always, to everyone that's listening, thank you for stopping by. Make sure to catch all the post-game content on the Cumberland Fro. We've got Gold doing the grades now this year. He's a, a witty soul. Um, make sure you uh, catch them, and I'll have all my post-game coverage up, hopefully tomorrow. It's a big day still with the NRLW and the Cup. Uh, and then, obviously, the, the the extended lineup. We've got Shelley, we've got Colmac, we've got your Monday morning stuff too, mate. So we're all over it. We're going to be flat out. Hope you guys enjoy it. We'll catch you guys uh, next Thursday, or this Thursday, as it were, as we preview the upcoming action uh, for round four of the NRL and everything else across the parks. And as we always say, go the Eels. Go the Eels.